So our scripture reading today comes from the first chapter of Genesis and just a couple verses from the second chapter, and it is too good not to share. So I want you to help me read it. There are lines that are in bold, and those are yours, and I'll read the not bold text. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, And so light appeared. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and darkness night. God said, God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome. And it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. God said, And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth and named the gathered waters seas. God said, And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God said, And that's what happened. God made the stars and two great lights, the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God said, God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in the waters, each according to its own kind, and all the winged birds, each according to its kind. Then God blessed them, be fertile and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth.
God said, And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The word of God for the people of God. It was all created in six days, and God rested on the seventh, and on the eighth day we began to fight about this text. <laughs> it's such a shame that such a gorgeous text has become ground zero in fights about evolution, creation, science, and faith that it's even being weaponized today to oppress our transgender and non-binary siblings. This is too beautiful of a passage for that kind of treatment. But that's where we are today. And so I think we need to spend some time on what this passage is and what this passage isn't. How do we read this passage as intelligent, mature people of faith? Let's start with what the passage is not. It is not empirical. It does not claim to be science. This text, as we have it today, was most likely passed down for generations orally, and then crafted into a written form either during the time the Israelites were in exile in Babylon or shortly thereafter. Which means that the crafters of the final form of the text as we have it today knew about Babylonian scientists. And the Babylonian astronomers were pioneers they were the first that we know of to figure out the orbit of some of the planets. And they had the beginnings of an understanding or a guess 
that the sun might not revolve around the earth, but that we might revolve around the sun. The Greeks learned from the Babylonians and took that knowledge forward. So the authors of this text knew what empirical observation and science was. And they were fully aware that what they were crafting here was not that. They knew about planets, but this account leaves out planets. They weren't trying to include everything that has ever been created. This was not a scientific cosmology, and it's not an exhaustive taxonomy of all the things in all the cosmos. In fact, instead of listing every single thing, it relies on a poetic form of speech called merism, where you use two extremes to refer to everything in between. So I searched high and low. God created day and night. It also includes dawn and dusk and magic hour when you get the best pictures. So too with earth and sea and male and female. God created humanity in this astonishing diversity of gender and of everything else that makes us who we are. It wasn't that our spiritual ancestors were trying to do science and were just really bad at it. They were doing something else. This is exactly what it sounds like. It is how we read it. It is liturgy. It is poetry. It is praise. They knew what we too often forget. There is far more at work in this cosmos and in our hearts than what we can observe and quantify. That's why I think they included not one, but two accounts of creation. Another account begins right after this one, and we generally run them together in our minds and in how we tell them informally, but they're different, and they don't line up. In the next one, we have the story of Adam and Eve. In this one, it kind of begins top-down. And the waters are pulled up from the earth and separated. But in the next one, the waters arise from the earth like a mist. In this one, we have plants and then animals and then humans. In the next story, we have a human and then a garden made for that human. And then animals made as companions. The differences between these two stories are not easily harmonized. 
And the authors and editors of the Bible knew that. They didn't just forget to proofread. They didn't just edit poorly. They made a choice to include both. Because creation is more than we can pin down in one account. God gave us minds and told us to love God with all of our minds. And that includes amazing scientific and intellectual pursuits. And it includes poetry and praise and worship devotion. That's what this passage is. It's a statement of faith. It's a creed. It makes faith claims. And when we look at it that way, it opens up like a flower. When our ancestors sat down 3,500 years ago to tell a story of who we are, they decided the most important thing was to claim that God made us good, made all of creation good, very good. God makes us and names us good. Do we dare to claim that ourselves and trust that? It's a bold theological claim. We tend to jump into complicating the picture, hedging our bets a little bit on this wild claim of goodness. We talk about sin and brokenness, and those are real. The folks who crafted this doxology had had their city defeated, invaded, looted, defeated, and they had been force-marched from their homes to a foreign land. They knew about evil and the cost of it. And yet, when they sat down to say, this is who God is, and this is what we believe about the world, they said, it's good. God says it is good. Which means at least part of what we are called to in this life is to look for that goodness. To trust that it is there. To seek it out. One time Jesus told a group of people to look for the kingdom of God First, and let everything else flow from there. Look for the goodness and work from there. It might surprise us where we find it. I used to work for the Y in high school and in college, 
and I did after school care and day camps. And my favorite day camp was Camp High Hopes. It was an outreach camp, which meant that it was for kids who couldn't afford to pay anything for camp. It was entirely free. And all the kids at that camp received free and reduced lunch during the school year. So camp was the place where they were fed during the summer months, where they could be safe and enjoy time together. The kids were tough. They were as tough as their circumstances. The director was a wise, wise woman. And we always spent almost a full day during the staff training week on discipline. And the refrain she would come back to again and again was, catch them doing good. If you catch them doing good, you won't have to catch them doing bad. Hakivian was a kid I met one summer. He was a second grader. He looked like he was maybe four because he had been malnourished his whole life. He had lived through and was in more trauma than I will ever face. When he got in trouble, which wasn't rare, he would find the smallest corner he could and curl up in fetal position, shaking, squeezing his eyes shut, terrified of what was going to happen to him. And Hakivian did cause quite a bit of chaos. He would fight, he would scream, he would run away every single day, it seemed. So we made it our mission to catch Hakivian doing good. All day long, all of us looked for anything Hakivian was doing that was good and called it out and praised him effusively. And when we caught him doing good, you could see the chaos recede a little bit and his eyes light up because Hakivian was good deep down to his very marrow. Good. And he needed that to be seen. Just like we all do. Akivian was good. You are good. Your enemy is good person who drives you crazy is good. Each and every person and every part of creation is good. And when we begin to look at the world from that starting place, it changes things. People have an inherent dignity and worth.
no matter what. It makes us more loving, more forgiving, more joyful, more faithful, more hopeful. I can't think of anything we need more right now than some of that hope and joy and mercy. Amen.